For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the gram, stunt me and destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. Sick like a rain, click and I bang, y'all gon' remember the name. Y'all gon' remember the name. What's up ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world, I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about something a little bit different. We're going to be talking about style. We're going to be talking about masculinity. We're going to be talking about masculine style. And who better to do it than my man, Tanner Guzzi, who is a men's style consultant. Welcome to the show, Tanner. How are you doing? Thanks, Zuby, man. I'm excited to be here. I think it's going to be a a good time, fun conversation. Absolutely, man. So I've given a little bit of an intro there, but uh, why don't you introduce yourself to the people? Cool. So like you said, my name is Tanner Guzzi. I am based out of the Mecca of menswear, Salt Lake City, Utah, which obviously is you know not the Mecca, but great little town. Uh, I'm a father of four and uh, I've been teaching men how to dress like men as opposed to like their wives dress them or like boys or you know pretending that they don't care about how they look. And I've been doing it for about a decade. So it's really fun for me to be able to help guys express their masculinity through the clothing that they wear and learn how to to yeah, be a better version of themselves by what they put on their bodies. That's interesting, man. So how did you get into the world of style? Is that something you've been into for, well, you've said 10 years, but is that something you've kind of been into for your entire life or how did you get into that? Yeah, for me, it first started back when I was in, I was probably 13 or 14 years old. Uh, My parents had pulled me out of a regular school and they plugged me into a private school where we had to do uniforms and everything. And around that same time, I started getting really into like the BMX and the punk rock scenes. And so there was this huge contrast between what I was expected to wear and the way that I actually identified, you know, it was not this, this preppy and ties and sport coats. I wanted to be green Liberty spikes and safety pins on everything and wear my favorite band shirts and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, I started to, to deal with that dissonance there. And my appearance has always been something that I've been pretty aware of ever since, especially because, you know, from there, I went to a regular public high school. I was able to start dressing the way that I wanted to after that. But then after I started working in a career, I I worked as a banker for a little while and looking like some 21 year old skate punk kills your career aspirations. And so I had to like recalibrate at that point. And so it's been kind of an ongoing thing for me. Okay, man, that's, that's really interesting. So uh, we're going to get into style a little bit more, but before we get into style, I want to find out a little bit more about you. So you live in Salt Lake City, Utah. You've got four kids. I already know that you are a Mormon. Uh Uh-huh. Awesome, man. I am a Um, member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That's, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So talking to, uh, I'm based here in the UK, where Mormonism is not something that people really know much about, besides occasionally if you're walking through like a town or a city center, you'll get the, the young men who are on their What's the right, what's the right term for it? I don't want to say it's not a, on their, on their missions, on their missions. Exactly. Uh-huh. So you'll see them there with their, um, with their name badges saying elder so-and-so. And so yep. you see them dotted around the cities. So that's pretty much P 
people's exposure to Mormonism here in the UK. Funnily enough, I grew up in Saudi Arabia and I knew quite a few Mormons over there. Oh, nice. <laughs> which, nice. Is, which is like, <laughs> which is hilarious. Um, so I think I know a little bit more about it than most people do, but maybe you can like just share a little bit more about the faith, the beliefs, any misconceptions people may have, just stuff like that, because I think it's quite sure. important. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I guess a couple of things to clear up right off the bat are uh, we as a church do not practice polygamy anymore. A lot of people, that's kind of the first assumption is that, you know, I've got like six wives or something else. And <laughs> while that was uh, that was a practice doctrine for a long time, and there are still some fundamentalist sects that do that, that was actually a practice that was stopped by the mainstream church uh, back in like the, the late 19th, early 20th century. Okay. But basically the premise of it, it is the understanding that uh, when Christ died and after the apostles and everybody had been killed off, that his authority had fallen away from the earth and the earth had fallen into a state of apostasy. And that's where there's all these different churches, everybody trying to contend for what's true and what's the best way to interpret the Bible and all these sorts of things. And so 1820, kind of right around there, there was a young man named Joseph Smith had the same questions that a lot of people during the Great Awakening had. And it was, you know, what church should I join? And uh, he went out and prayed about it, and he received a visitation from God the Father and Jesus Christ, two separate beings, and they told him basically none of them, and we're calling you to be a prophet to restore the church. And so through that and a series of events of him translating ancient scripture from the Americas, this is how this, this church has come to be. And so rather than it being a Protestant or a Reformation church, we see it as a restoration of Christ's original church. So there's kind of like the basic 101 on it. Okay, man, that's that was good. That was nice and concise. I like that. <laughs> I, I served a mission too. I was in Toronto. So. <laughs> okay, how how was that like? What, that was what crazy, was especially because I was Spanish speaking, and so I at first I was like, "Really, you're going to make me speak Spanish in Canada?" But tons of immigrants from all over the world there, and really, really cool experience to get to uh, to get to talk to people about my beliefs and share what makes me a happier person and what helps me be a better person and have other people either choose to embrace it or not. But really, really cool experience. That's really interesting, man. I mean, I know you're not meant to, um, whether whether positive or negative, you're not supposed to like stereotype any groups, but I find Mormons to be really cool. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I hope, I hope that we all live up to that stereotype. <laughs> I'm sure there are exceptions, but in, in there my are, own, unfortunately, of course, man. But in my own personal life, like, no, genuinely, like I've always found them to be like nice, kind, polite and moral people for lack of a awesome. better word um Good. i love so, it that means yeah. they've been doing their job they've been representing us well yeah that's my personal experience so results may vary <laughs> so uh so coming back to uh to men's style so what is it exactly that you do for men now so one of the things that really distinguishes me from the other guys out there because there are plenty of guys who are in kind of the men's style space and one of the things that I got frustrated with as I was associating with these guys, and I mean, don't get me wrong, a lot of these guys are great friends and they do a great job, but they only take a very surface level approach where it's, here's the five outfits that you need to wear to be on trend in 2019, or you know, here's the three shoes that you have to have this summer, or this kind of stuff. And they take a very prescriptive look at what is and is not good style. And the problem is that that's not universally, universally applicable because Somebody who works in Silicon Valley in the tech industry is going to be very different than somebody who is a recording artist in the UK, which is going to be somebody who's different, you know, than a Wall Street banker. And good style is very much relative to things like what your personal taste is, 
what are the tribes that you belong to and how do you signal things related to that? And so what I do is I teach men how to think about all of these variables so that they can then create their own really powerful and unique sense of style as opposed to just like buying what the chick at Nordstrom tells them they need to buy to look handsome. Mm. So how do you, how would you personally define style? Style is the ability to, ex it's communication. It's the ability to express an internal system externally. I mean, it's literally the same thing as, as trying to define what written languages or spoken language or mannerisms or body language. It's a way to better express who you are so that other people can understand it. Okay. So when you think of style, do you think of just the, the clothes aspect of it? Or I take it, it sounds like you've got like a more kind of holistic, total view of it. So when you talk about style, when people are talking about style, is it literally just the clothes on your body or is it something beyond that? Is it how you're presenting yourself or any elements of charisma or is that are those all different things? So I would say that when most people talk about it, including myself, what we're really referring to is the clothing itself with a little bit of things like grooming. But the way that I talk about it and the importance of it really does come down to things like your body language, your posture, what your vocal tonality is, all these things that really kind of make up your presence as opposed to just your style. But your, your, your style is a component of what your overall presence is. Okay. So what are men doing wrong? Well, the biggest thing is that they have convinced themselves that it doesn't matter or that it shouldn't matter. And ironically, you know, and you you can even see this just on Twitter this week where there's a oh, lot gosh. of guys like Mike Cernovich and Jack Provosek and other guys who are, it's really funny for me to watch this where they're going after cargo <laughs> shorts. And dude, the amount, like the amount of energy that these guys <laughs> will put into defending their cargo shorts. It's like, you can't, you can't pretend that you don't care when you were arguing with somebody for hours on Twitter about how cool your cargo shorts are. You care. You absolutely care. There is no indifference here. You love those things. And so I, that's the big problem is guys, we have this weird ego investment that somehow bad style intentionally bad style makes us more masculine men. And this is really like the only point in history and the only culture that's ever embraced that. <laughs> well, I, th I think when it comes to masculinity, there's always the, um, there's always the concerns of practicality, of course. So right. I, think, I think with a lot of guys, it becomes, okay, 100%. What is practical? What is comfortable? Rather than how does this portray me to the wider world? Well, and I think there's, there's a good distinction between practicality and comfort because there's also never been a culture that defined peak masculinity as the man who is the most comfortable, mm. right? Yes, there's something to be said for practicality, but even then you go back to like 16th, 17th century Western civilization during the enlightenment and everything else, you were actually signaling higher status and more masculinity by being able to dress like a dandy because what you're saying is I'm so rich and powerful. I don't even need to be practical. I pay the plebs to do that kind of crap. Mm. I can be as dainty and as really as I want. That's how masculine I am. You know, and so you get guys who are like Louis the 15th and all this kind of stuff that a lot of these guys were actually pretty good warriors or they were very masculine in a traditional sense, but aesthetically not at all. Not at least yeah. as far as practicality is concerned. Well, you said something there that, uh, that, that kind of made me, made me chuckle. You, you used the phrase peak masculinity and I was just kind of laughing. Cause I was like, I think that's, I think that's literally what the culture is currently trying to siphon out of everybody. Right. So the whole the whole notion of peak masculinity itself, I think, would probably uh, trigger certain people.
<laughs> well, good. We we like to trigger people as often and as frequently as possible. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't need to try. You don't even need to try these days. It's, that's what's so sad about it, right? That just shows how much we need masculinity. <laughs> the fact that everybody's triggered by all these stupid things. Dude, I'm getting like like 800 mentions on Twitter like every hour at the moment. I, I'm just <laughs> oh, oh. I, I I I haven't even like looked in there again because I'm just gosh. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah, Twitter's a funny one because then you go outside and you're like, okay, everything's all right. Everything's right. All right. Oh, there are normal people here because there really aren't very many normies on Twitter. Like we're a special breed on that platform. And we're not considered normies though, are we? We're, we're no. considered toxically masculine, I believe. <laughs> How dare we? <laughs> yeah, no, this is, this is a little secret patriarchal meeting right here. Absolutely. Wait yeah. The cops come knock. I'm kind of looking. <laughs> Man, especially where you are. I can still do oh. this here. Dude, you gotta man. be a secret secret patriarch. I gotta be open and brazen about it. <laughs> I don't have a first amendment to protect me, dude. No, <laughs> no nor a second. Oh man, that's yeah, brutal. Man. So um so you talked a, an overview of the mistakes men make. So let's let's start with cargo shorts, because you said cool. cargo shorts. Yeah. There's some guys who are gonna be listening right now, like, what's wrong with cargo shorts, man? Yeah. Well, and that's the thing that's funny is objectively and aesthetically. There's really nothing wrong with cargo shorts. But again, going back to the idea that clothing is communication, you have the social understanding of what cargo shorts are. And it is this idea that when you think of the stereotype or what's being communicated when you see a guy wear wear cargo shorts, he's typically somebody who really is just kind of complacent about his life. He's somebody who is more interested in He's, he's basically just more interested in being comfortable. He's basically not invested in the idea of becoming the best version of himself. And he's in some sort of a denial that anybody can even make any sort of assessment of him. And so when you think of like your typical worse than normie, like average frustrated chump dude, it's usually some guy who's overweight. He's wearing clothes that don't fit him. It's usually cargo shorts. He's got flip-flops or combat boots on. And somehow he's convinced himself that this is what it means to be a man. And it's all just kind of like self masturbatory and that's that's the problem is the association yeah so aesthetically no not at all there's not a problem with them but it's what's being communicated in the fact that you're basically saying that my my biggest priority is that I'm comfortable do you think most people look at it that deep though no but we don't have to think about it that deeply to still be able to make those kind of assessments because mm. it's a contrast with the guys who look really sharp where it's just like, okay, well, that, that, that dude just looks normally, just looks average. He just looks complacent. It's not like people of Walmart level, but it's mm. also not like this is a guy who's got it together. This is a guy who takes himself seriously. This is a guy who's actually working on becoming the best version of himself. So no, I don't think consciously most people take it to that level, but that doesn't mean subconsciously that's not what's happening. Yeah, that's that's interesting because I didn't know that cargo shorts were so polarizing until a, a couple of days ago on Twitter. It's weird, right? Like, um, maybe because I'm in the UK, so people don't you don't see a lot of car- cargo shorts here. Exactly, Par- partly because of the weather. Like, right? You know, we, well, but we even just the culture. You know, I've never been out to the UK, but I've been to Italy a few times, and the, I mean, you just don't see men there who are dressed like your typical slob American at all. There's just a higher standard. The baseline is a little bit higher. And I'm not saying more formal. I don't want you guys to think that what I'm saying is it's more dressed up and more formal because it's not, but it's more self-respecting than what the message is that's being communicated by your average sloppy dude in cargo shorts. Yeah. I, I know what you mean. Like I can see it's, it's, it's funny. Cause when I think of something like that, I don't necessarily think so much of the, um, what would I say? The item of clothing itself. So 
I know when the kind of stereotype caricature you've given, yeah. of like a, a sloppy dude in cargo shorts, like it's like I, I can picture that perfectly in my brain. But with me, it's uh, I know that what I see is less the the shorts and more like the overall presentation of the person who's wearing them. Like if I saw some guy who's like in great shape, carrying himself well, you know, walking, looking proud, but happened to be wearing cargo shorts, like I wouldn't notice him. You know what I mean? Right. Like I, I wouldn't notice the shorts. I'd be like, okay, this guy look, looks looks like a confident, strong dude, you know? Well, and you're right. I'm sure that if I were to go on Instagram, it would be pretty easy for me to scroll through and find some pictures of dudes who look great in cargo shorts, and they're not they're, they're not really this problem at all. But I think I think I look pretty good in them. I would imagine probably <laughs> so. But they've become this kind of symbol on both sides, where you get the you get the dorks who defend them as how dare you have a problem with these, and then you get the other people who go, well, the fact that you defend them as much as you do is kind of why we have a problem with them. So it's just become this kind of like lightning rod about the broader the broader conversation of what is a man's proper relationship with his appearance. And it mm. just happens. I mean, personally, I think cargo shorts can actually look like basketball shorts or gym shorts on most guys are way worse than cargo shorts. I'd agree. But, on that. Right. Exactly. It's yeah. even more lazy. It's even more just complacent. I've given up on caring about myself. That's way worse than cargo shorts, but because that's now become kind of this universal lightning rod from both directions. That's the one we get to have a conversation about. <laughs> Fair enough, man. Yeah. And uh, flip-flops. Flip-flops, I can, uh, yeah, flip-flops, I'm, I'm not a fan of. I think if uh, you're going to the beach, you're going swimming, you know, something like that, flip-flops, yep. fine, general public attire, whether man or woman, I'm not personally sold on them. I'm not someone who's super hardcore into style like you are, but uh, yeah, flip-flops, I'm not too big a fan. So what are your thoughts on those? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where, again, and really most of the style rules, what it really comes down to is, know it what the context is in which you're wearing something and know what you're trying to communicate with it because i have flip-flops and i wear them when i go to the swimming pool i wear them when we go to the beach i wear them a couple times a week when i'm going to the boxing gym because i'm not going to wear my boxing shoes around and i'm not going to like lace up and unlace other shoes like wear them in the right context but again you'll have people who just comfort is their biggest priority and so as soon as it's like even remotely warm out it's like everything goes away but the flip-flops and again what it just communicates is it's kind of like a lack of social fluency where you're really what you're really expressing is i don't i i can't even understand different contexts require different behaviors on my part so i'm just gonna blanket approach everything with i'm gonna wear my flip-flops okay so to play devil's advocate here there's gonna be someone here who's listening to this and is saying why is this guy making such a big deal about what other people uh -huh. are doing. So, and I'm sure, I'm sure you've had that before. So Absolutely. why, why do you care about what other people are doing or how other men are portraying themselves? Yeah. It's why just you're, why are you so uptight about this? Just let people wear what they want. And the reality is, is people can wear what they want, but the other reality is that dressing ourselves, especially in a climate controlled world, is not an act of practicality. It is a social behavior, 100%. Hmm. And just like any other social behavior, you need to understand that it affects other people and the way that it, that it affects other people also affects you. I'm not saying you have to be super concerned with what everybody else in any other environment thinks, but I do think you should be concerned about the people who actually can have an impact on you, what they think. And if you can dress in a way that not only impacts them, but it also affects your own self-perception, because if the guy who stares back at you in the mirror is a slob, then you're going to see yourself as a slob. 
But if the guy who stares back at you in the mirror is somebody who's got his act together, then that's what you're going to start seeing more of yourself as as well. And so it's a social behavior. And I want people to be able to maximize the benefits of that social behavior, just like any other behavior they can take advantage of. It's a good answer. So we've talked about cargo shorts. We've talked about flip flops. Are there any other are there any other big tickets, men's fashion faux pas? So I, I will go to the other direction because these, okay. I mean, no, that's kind of the low hanging fruits. And I, okay, and I okay. get why a lot of guys rag on that. <laughs> and what a lot of the listeners are probably thinking is like, oh, great. This other guy is just going to tell me I have to wear a suit every day. And honestly, I think that most of the time when guys wear suits, in fact, I call these guys gentle dorks where they think like, oh, well, I'm not going to be in cargo shorts and I'm just going to wear a suit everywhere. I'm going grocery shopping. I'm going to put on my three-piece suit and my spats and my fedora and I'm going to have my cane on. And it's like, that's just as contextually stupid as wearing (laughs) sweatpants and flip-flops everywhere as it really is. And so the guys who overcorrect and they think that you know, nobody's had good style since the fifties. If you like anybody besides Cary Grant, then you're an idiot and you're, and you, you're stupid when it comes to any sort of style. And the only way to look good is to wear a suit all the time. I think that's just as much of a problem. And a lot of guys do overcorrect and go in that direction as well. Do you see guys going to the grocery stores in full suits? I don't see that. Sadly. Yeah. Really? I mean, it's not like, it's not like the kind of thing that, you know, like every time I'm out at the grocery store, I see that, but I see guys posting stuff like that all the time, especially when you get into like the men's self-development mm-hmm. and especially the men's wear community okay. where it's just like, this is who I am and this is my identity. And they really are like, they're dorks who think that, well, I'm not strong. I'm not masterful in anything else. I'm not really socially competent. And so I'm going to compensate for all of that by dressing like a gentleman. And it, it, the world doesn't work like that anymore. You can't just automatically have good style on because you put on a suit, especially if it's some crappy ill-fitting piece that's made of 100,000% polyester. So how do we find this happy medium, Tanner? <laughs> that's what I teach men how to do. That's why it's so important to be able – really the big things are – You need to be able to understand the context of your environment in which you find yourself. You do need to have some level of confidence, but confidence is not the end all be all. Because one of the other arguments I get all the time is, you know, if you, if a dude's confident, he can wear whatever he wants and he'll pull it off. And it's like, that's not really the case either. Because again, if you want to, if you want to prove that, then throw on a a pink dress and some cowboy boots and wear that every day for a month and tell me how much you're killing it. And regardless of how confident you are. So well, you, you do have to have, you probably get quite a lot of compliments for that at the moment, man. You'd right. Exactly. Yeah. Brave. Yeah. People would be complimenting your bravery, saying that you're beautiful. But so that's the so context. Forth. Isn't that so ridiculous? Because we <laughs> now have a culture that allows that to be the proper context. It's totally anti-masculine, but within a certain context, somebody will tell you in a postmodern way where everything ugly is beautiful, that it is good and that you are brave for doing it. But for your average masculine approaching man a guy who you know wants to be masculine he's not going to do that he you can't convince yourself that you don't care what you look like unless you actually decide to throw on a pink shirt or a gorilla suit or something else and wear it for a month and not think that it doesn't affect you internally or affect the way that you interact with the people who matter to you so yes you do have to have some confidence but it's not just confidence so you have to have context confidence and the last one is competence you actually have to be good at this stuff dressing well in and of us in and of itself is a skill set you can you have guys who will really nerd out on things like 
you got to know what patterns work for you and what colors are good on you. And yeah, that stuff matters to some extent, but even just knowing like how to understand the difference between streetwear and sartorial menswear, or what's the difference between like the tactical field or the other guys who are a little bit more like uh, like cowboy rugged and that kind of stuff. And, and knowing within those contexts, what is good execution and what is poor execution. That's why I can't give a prescription of like, never wear this, always wear that. You've got great style because you have to have those three variables in their proper proportions to be able to pull it off as an individual. Okay, man. So how did you do this for yourself? What was the... Lots of mistakes. Okay. (laughs) I mean, really, I did. I remember back in 2003, you know, being part of that whole like skate punk scene, uh, big BMX guy, Mike Aitken was one of my idols, especially because he was here local. And I remember seeing him at the skate park and he was wearing skinny pants, like super skinny pants. And this was before anybody else was doing it. It was a way to not get his pant leg caught in his chain while he was riding his bike. And turns out that the way that you did that back in 2003 is you would go to the thrift store and you would buy girl pants because Mm -hmm. that was the only, that was the only way you could get something that was made that skinny. Then you have people who adopt it further and further. And that goes really well. That one worked out really well. I've done things like worn my belt sideways or tried to wear bandanas in weird ways. Those things don't work out. I've done haircuts that are awful. I've had other things that, that work out really well. And for me being somebody who's a, I genuinely enjoy trying to find patterns in things. Okay. And so the fact that I enjoy that I've cared about style for a long time. And now that I make a living off of doing it, I just get to plug in my brain into that environment and, and try and understand these things in a way that really nobody else has even tried to do it. You know, when I wrote my book, the appearance of power, nobody else had written anything like that. There's still nobody else who's written anything like that because most style books are what you expect. It's here's how to tie a tie and here's how to pair green with red and, you know, make sure your contrast type works. But the philosophical connotations are way more important than all that mechanical stuff. Okay. And what are those key philosophical connotations? You've talked about the three C's there. Mm -hmm. Is there any other sort of major principle? Yeah. So what I actually do when I break it down and you guys can read this in the book, this is the same stuff that I teach my coaching clients that I work through with them. There's actually six elements of style that are the biggest things. Uh, and if you want to know an acronym, an acronym for it, it's battle B A T T L E. So the first one is your body. You do need to know what looks good on you and what doesn't things like what patterns work, what your face shape is, all that kind of stuff. The next one is going to be your archetype where archetypes are huge because just like in anything else that helps, you know, kind of a general direction in which you should be going. So, and we could go super deep on this if you want to, or I can just point your guys towards something else, but there are three style archetypes, which are rugged, refined, and rakish. Once okay. you get that dialed in, you go to your tribes, which is I take, it, environment. I take it. I'm not the third. I would imagine you're actually pretty rakish. Rakish, really? Yeah, yeah. Well, a little okay. bit of a rebel. You're somebody who's willing to kind of color outside the lines, and you thrive by being an iconoclast and breaking the rules. You're absolutely okay. rakish. Oh, okay. So what are the go? What are those three again? Okay, go, so rugged, rugged are the guys who exist primarily in like the physical world. So it's the kind of guys who, when you think of like cowboys or lumberjacks or blue collar workers or that kind of stuff, where they're more interested in tinkering with things and making things work physically, and there's an aesthetic that comes with that, okay. right? The second one is refined, and that's for people who really understand the rules of society, and they do their best to thrive by playing along with the rules. So that's where you get suits. That's where you get all that kind of stuff where there's a there's a hierarchy, and you try and climb the hierarchy in its natural way. And then rakish are the guys who, like the refined guys, they really understand that hierarchy, and they really understand the rules, but they thrive by breaking the rules uh, as opposed okay. to playing by them. Yeah. For, for some reason, when when I hear the term rakish, it makes me think of like like a skinny person. I don't know why. Oh, maybe like gotcha. maybe like a rake. 
<laughs> like, right. I, know, I know it's a different term, but for right. some reason it made me like think of some like scrawny dude for some reason, but no worries. Yeah. So the term actually originates it's from pirates because they were really poor at like the upkeep of their ships. And so their center mass on their ships would be at a rake or they would be at a tilt. Ah. And so that was one of the ways that if you were far enough away, you would be able to recognize, is this guy a pirate or is he somebody who's, you know, like part of the Navy or anything else ah, like that. Okay. And so it's that idea of being on the outside, being a rebel, being that kind of stuff that, that that's associated with. Okay. I'm rakish then. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Okay. And the T. Okay. So tribe. And again, that's so that stuff like hobbies, the kind of stuff that you do, what you do for a work environment, how your status is measured within that, even things like your religious or philosophical beliefs, what your family dynamics are like, basically how you can use your clothing to communicate things with the people who matter to you. The other T is your personal taste, because you do need to actually like have some personality expressed in this. You don't just wear a uniform the same way as everybody else or you become a drone. Then you have L, which is your location, because even if you're with the same group of people and you're at the gym versus being at the opera, you better be dressing differently, <laughs> right? You need to understand the context of the environment in which you find yourself. And then the last one is effort, because some guys are major clothes horses. I have some clients who, you know, even a year after working with them, they'll send me text messages every week where it's like, just picked up three new suits. You know, I got this one and that one. And then other guys who are just like, I need six articles of clothing. And that's all I ever want to wear for the rest of my life. And obviously those are two opposite ends of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. And wherever you fall within that, there, there's not a right or wrong. You just need to determine what's actually best for you. Awesome, man. I like that. Yeah. So we've got the triple C's and we've got battle. Yep. Okay. I like that, yep. man. All right. So for anyone who's listening right now, I mean, I guess you obviously can't see them and you don't know what they look like. So it'll be hard for you to give them any sort of <laughs> specific advice. But um, is there anything that's universal that either people you feel like men should do or should not do or should wear or should not wear? You, we've talked about the flip flops, of course. Are there any other like big ones that are just like, okay, that one doesn't look good on almost anybody? No. Uh, you know, again, you'd have to dive in a little bit deeper as far as kind of what the underlying connotations of things are. Because again, like you could say something like don't wear lace because it's frilly. And it's like, okay, well, Shakespeare wore lace, you know? And so again, there's, there's connotations to that. But the one thing that I would say that's kind of a big universal, I'll, I'll give you two. Okay. One is don't think about good style is formal and bad style is casual. We've already touched on that a little bit, a little bit, but a lot of guys think that where it's like, I want to dress better. I'm a t-shirt and jeans kind of guy. I want to dress better. So I'm going to wear slacks and a button up. And it's like, eh, that may not actually be better. Maybe instead what you need is t-shirt and jeans that fit better, or they're made from a higher quality material, or they've got a little bit different texture or the colors are better on you or something else like that. So don't think that good style is formal and bad style is casual. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is, recognize that the main objective of your style, and this is different than what women try to do with theirs. And this is why a lot of times you see guys, especially older guys who are dressed by their wives and they look almost like cute and young and trendy as opposed <laughs> to what they really should look like. And it's because women are trying to look like young and relevant and fertile and those kind of things. Like that's all our biological underpinnings. And for men, we're, we're right. I know exactly. Watch out. But for men, it's things like, authority and dignity and power and self-respect. And so being able to, to, again, understand through the context of who you are and the way that you find yourself in the world, how do you communicate those kinds of things through your clothing and through your appearance? Awesome, man. So let's talk about t-shirts. Everybody wears t-shirts. 
Yeah. So I wear t-shirts. Yeah, everybody wears t-shirts. So I'm thinking of something that's that's nice and universal. So if a guy's picking out a t-shirt, what should he what should he be looking for? Keep it simple. Don't do logos. There are ways to be able to do logos, but it gets pretty advanced. So if you're kind of new at this, then just stick with plain t-shirts, stick with neutral colors. So that's going to be things like white, gray, navy, black, that kind of stuff. You know, you don't need to do bright orange or mustard yellow or burgundy. You know, again, I, I wear those colors, but you don't have to go too crazy. Keep it neutral. And then some basic ideas as far as fit. Uh, you've got the seams where your sleeves are attached. That should be right at the end of your deltoid on your shoulders. It shouldn't be like falling over it, nor should it be like pulling up. So yours looking at the screen right now. It's a little bit on the big side, but it's pretty dang close. Mm -hmm. And so I would say that that's enough to kind of get away with. Um, yeah. As far as the length of the sleeves go, you want it to be right at the middle of the bicep as opposed to like falling all the way down to your elbow. And for you, yeah, that's a pretty good spot. And you also don't want it to be so big that it makes your arms look like they're tiny and scrawny. There you go. You got to fill that t-shirt out. Nothing could do that, man. Nope. <laughs> yeah, it helps to actually lift and have some size <laughs> on you, right? That makes things a lot easier. And uh, as far as the rest of the fit goes, most guys look better in a t-shirt if it's snug across the chest and the shoulders but then there's a little bit of a drape down through the waist because that actually gives more of that appearance of the V shape as opposed to something that's just big and loose everywhere. Or you get the kind of guys that wear everything that's like three sizes too small and either it's showing <laughs> off the fact that they've got the dad bod or it's kind of one dimensional where it's like, okay, we can see your abs. And it's like, you guys know I work out, right? You guys can tell you can see that. Can you see my abs guys? You know, I work out. It's yeah. a little bit. Yeah. So you want something that's, that it's got a little bit of drape through it. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, on that note, like for, for buff dudes, dudes who, who work out, I think it can be a, a little bit tricky. Uh, you get the guys who kind of go the full on like bodybuilder gear wear, like I'm just going to wear like training stuff all the time. And then, yeah, you also get the opposite. Oh yeah, I work out and I want the person who's a mile away to know that I work out. So my shirt is going to be so tight mm -hmm. that, you know, like, yep. so <laughs> yeah. So what's that? What's the happy medium for, um, a dude, a dude who lifts, you know, a buff dude. What you want it to be is you want it to make you look like you're multidimensional as opposed to just one dimensional. And if you look, if you lift, I mean, I'm not massive by any means, but I've got, a, I certainly don't look like an average 35 year old dude. And especially because the standards are so low now, they're <laughs> so low. It's so to just not be skinny fat or fat, all of a sudden you look like you're, you're in fantastic shape. Yeah. And so what you can do at that point is, okay, there's already just by your general shape, there's already a pretty good understanding of the fact that you put some energy into this. You're not scrawny, you're not fat, you're not anything else. And so therefore, you don't need to lean into that aesthetic even further by like always wearing baggy gym clothes around or wearing everything that's super tight because then you look like the only thing that you have going for you is the fact that you're in good shape. Mm. Whereas if you've got some decent style and it kind of makes a nod to that, but it's not overly blasting it, then what it's communicating is like, yes, I'm in great shape. And that's one of many other great things that I have going for me, as opposed to it's the only good thing that I have going for me. Got it. And another thing that people find very tricky, I think both men and women is uh, jeans. Yeah. So any quick thoughts or quick tips on jeans that people can generally apply? I know a lot of people wear them too long. A lot of people wear right. them too short. Yep. Uh, too baggy, too tight. Like in, in the UK, a lot of dudes' jeans look like girls' leggings, basically. Right. I, like I don't they're just spray painted on you. Yeah. Like that's a big thing here in the UK. Um, yeah. Some of them, I don't know how they put them on. Some of them have zips on. <laughs> some of them have zips on the side, I believe. Yep. They've got yep. zips on the side. And I see, I, I see dudes and I'm like, looks painful or something. So, right. 
yeah i don't know but and um, again within some context streetwear stuff like that there's guys who can do that and make it look really good but for just like the general kind of a general consensus especially like baggy versus hyper skinny that kind of stuff waxes and wanes as far as trends come and go yeah. but general principle is the simpler the better so you don't want like thankfully we're out of the like affliction ed hardy era where there's all this <laughs> awful stuff that's all over your jeans that was a good so time. This, right? The simpler, the better. <laughs> a good like inky blue is going to be the most universal. You don't necessarily need to do like a super light wash, which you can, or like black or anything else. You're welcome to do those. But the most the most universal is going to be just like a good inky blue. Okay. You want it to be slim enough that we have an idea of what kind of shape you're in, but not so skinny that you're like seeing all the details where it's like, that's a weird vein on your thigh, buddy. You yeah. know, like those. <laughs> that's too skinny, but also not so baggy that it's just like, what what are his legs actually like you know like you're just totally lost in them so keep them slim and then as far as just general length goes uh, you don't want them to be so long that the bottom of the pants the hem is like stacking up on itself and you also don't want it so short that it looks like you're wearing floods now that's a trend right now i'm happy to embrace the fact that my jeans are a little bit shorter a lot of guys will like cuff them up a few times i'm sure in 10 years we're gonna look back at pictures of us today and go that was stupid what were we thinking (laughs) But and so again, no kind of like what the standard middle ground is of, yeah, it's, they cover your ankles, but they don't like stack up against them. And then you can either go a little longer, or a little shorter, depending on what you're wanting to communicate or what the, uh, what the norm within your tribes are. Awesome, man. So how important is it to update style or is that more of a fashion thing? Cause I think there's a difference between style and fashion. I think fashion is more like trendy and timely and I imagine style is something that's a little little more immutable and something that's more like long-term. Would that be accurate? Yeah. I, the, the way that I describe it is more that fashion is something that other people create and you consume, whereas style is more about what you can take from the inside and express it through, through mm. your external means. So it's a little bit more of personal expression as opposed to just like, hey, I'm on this bandwagon. And sadly, there are a lot of guys who fall into the trap of thinking that there is such a thing as timeless style. And there's not because style, again, being, you know, dressing yourself, being a social behavior, it, one of the things that's kind of built into it is the fact that you can't wear the same thing forever and have it communicate the same things and mean the same things because that kind of defeats a lot of the purpose of it. So yes, on one, one extreme, you get like the hyper trends where it's literally like, oh, that was three weeks ago. What are you still doing wearing that? <laughs> and then on the opposite extreme, you do get some things that have quite a bit of longevity. Take a suit, for example. You know, a suit, suits you do still still see variations on them. You know, if you're if you don't believe that, then go watch uh, go watch old news footage from like the O.J. Simpson trial, or go watch movies from the '80s or movies from the '70s, or go watch you know speeches given by presidents in the '40s. And you can't take those suits and wear them today without them looking like they're a costume. The changes Mm. aren't as big as what we see in casual wear, but there are still changes. And so you do need to update your style, but the frequency or the extremity of it or anything else, again, is going to be very dependent on who you are and the way in which you interact with the world. If you're a young dude and you're trying to figure yourself out and you're part of that, you fit very much into the rakish archetype and your tribes are are things like the streetwear scene or the music scene or stuff like that, you're going to be updating your style pretty frequently. If you're a guy who's in his 60s and you're still working as an attorney, you still don't want to wear the same suit you wore 30 years ago 
but you also don't necessarily need to wear the thing that's you know being touted at PT Uomo and in Florence right now as like the latest menswear thing mm-hmm. that's going on either, you know. And so knowing who you are and knowing how much to embrace change is, is one of the more difficult things, but it's something that you can figure out. And any tips on a uh, color? You talked about it a little bit with the t-shirts. Yeah, what about what about colors? Uh, obviously, there's a big spectrum of them out there. Colors so, overrated, really? Okay. What yeah, do you mean by most that? guys. Okay, so most guys, when they think about like I'm gonna I'm gonna start dressing better, the first things that they think of are we already talked about like I'm gonna dress more formally, mm-hmm. and then the other things that they'll do is they'll think like I need to add more color, and or I need to add more pattern into my wardrobe. Okay, and both of those things, it's it's easy to see why people jump to that because that kind of they feel like they're dressing better because there's more variety and it's also easier to be able to recognize the difference in like a, a white polo and a green polo that's very it's very easy to tell the difference whereas a white polo that fits really poorly and it's made from like a really crappy cotton and it's stretched out in the wrong places versus one that's like a really nice pk weave it's got a good collar and that kind of stuff those kind of changes are more subtle and so a lot of times guys when they're first getting started they can't even recognize those changes but those are the ones that actually make a bigger difference because if your clothes are crappy, it doesn't matter if they're green or if they're white, they're still awful. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. This is great style because it's green. I'm killing it now. Yeah, it, yeah. it doesn't work like that. Yeah. And so being able to focus things like fit and quality and texture and that kind of stuff usually will do way more for you than just like I need to have 19 different colors in my wardrobe or I've got to have a Buffalo plaid and I've got to have an awning stripe and I need a Glen plaid and they need a gingham check and all like the patterns are, they're almost just as overrated. Okay, man. Have you got, so do you have any style icons? Is there anyone who's out there who you kind of like look up to in a way or who you think, yeah, that person's always got it on point or maybe even a couple of people from some of those different archetypes. What would be some examples? That's a fun question because it changes all the time. And that's one of the things where I try and pull from from different cues. I've really been recently kind of falling in love with a little bit more of like a Western style. And so one of the guys that I really like, his name is Ben Christensen. Um, it's like underscore Ben Christensen on Instagram. And he does a really cool like desert cowboy aesthetic where he's wearing like boss of the plains hats and he's uh, shooting like old school Colt rifles and this kind of stuff. And it very much looks almost like cosplay, but he pulls it off in a way that it works really well for a lot of guys. Then that's the thing where style icons get really tricky because a lot of guys will take like Cary Grant, who we've already mentioned and they'll think, okay, well I love his style. Therefore I am going to dress exactly like him but you're not Cary Grant. You don't have his status. You don't have his accomplishments. You don't live in the same world that he does. You don't live at the same time in which he does. Mm -hmm. So you can't just directly copy what you need to try and do. And that's what I'm trying to do with this guy, Ben is like, okay, well, why do I like this? What's appealing about it? And then how do I take that same principle and apply it to what I'm trying to do with my own style? Yeah. But he's probably one right now. You know, if we were to do this again in like six months, it'll be somebody totally different. Okay, man. Anyone in the world of like music or entertainment out of interest? No, because I'm cynical and I know that most of those guys are dressed by stylists in Hollywood anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so who do you think has a good stylist? Uh, you know, I, I know that uh, like uh, Gosling stylist always does a good job for him and he's actually got a pretty good sense of style on his own. Um, he's kind of the, the go-to for a lot of guys in the menswear community. And 
sadly, I see more bad examples. Like go look at pictures of like Mark Ruffalo and the kind of crap that he wears. And these other, like Hollywood in of itself is this whole weird tribe where things that are embraced as normal are really just awful and look stupid and all that. And so, yeah, not really a lot of stuff that I see coming out of there that I'm just like, yeah, this is awesome. That's fair enough, man. So, so what's next for you, man? What do you, uh, what do you have planned for the next, for this year, for the next couple of years? I see you've got, got your, you've got your book that's out now. Yeah. 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 That's been out for about a year and a half now. Okay. Give it a, yep. give it a quick little plug. Yeah. So it's called the appearance of power and it's basically all about how masculinity is expressed through aesthetics. We've already hit on a lot of the points in here, but one of the things I think you guys will really appreciate is that I pull from different historic examples to show you why men have always cared about how we dress and how we use it to express our masculinity and, and whether or not we can actually be qualified as men to other men around us. Um, you can go pick it up on Amazon. It's paperback, paperback, Kindle, and uh, there's also an audible version. And if you like my sweet dulcet tones, I'm the one who narrated it for you. Nice. So yeah, it's a, it's a really good primer to just get you. My whole goal with the book is to get guys thinking differently about why they should care as opposed to like, there's no practical advice in there as far as like, you need to go buy this. That was very intentional on my part. Okay. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about masculinity here. It's something we've both referred to a couple of times. So Tanner, what does masculinity actually mean to you? As we've alluded to earlier, we're living in a time, especially in the Western world, where there seems to be a lot of questions and confusion and attempts to redefine masculinity, shall we say, or just demonize it in other cases. Definitely. So what does masculinity mean? What's your personal definition of it? What do you even Man, think? How do you do that succinctly, right? Mm. Okay. Well, there's a couple of things. And thankfully, there's other guys who do this a lot better than I do. And there's a couple of things to pull from. Uh, I've got a buddy named Ryan Mickler who runs a great site and an awesome podcast called Order, Order of Man. And his definition is uh, preside, provide, and protect. And so I like those ideas, especially for me being a father of four. And, you know, my wife is a stay-at-home mom. We live a very traditional lifestyle. And so it is it is my responsibility to provide for my family and to protect them and to preside someone, over Someone them. is getting triggered right now. So triggered. And I'm just going to keep <laughs> tripping it on even further. Like, that's the whole goal is to just get you to hate me. And I do, like, you go look at my Twitter bio. Like, I define myself as a patriarch. My wife would define me as a patriarch. That's yeah. That's the whole goal for us. And so there's that. I'm also a real big fan of uh, Jack Donovan's Tactical Virtues. He wrote a book called The Way of Men. Oh, yeah. Are you familiar with that? Yeah. Yeah, I've read that. Yeah. So So his virtues are uh, courage, strength, mastery, and honor. Those are the Mm. things that, yeah, women can have those, but those are the things that men have always been judged by and valued for. And so the idea of trying to make yourself as strong, as courageous, as masterful, and as honorable as possible and doing it within the context of presiding, providing, and protecting the people that matter. To me, that's that's really what mas- like good, effective, and moral masculinity is. Yeah, man, I agree with that completely. So why do you think people don't – a lot of people do see it that way. I mean, I've kind of grown up across a bunch of different cultures. As I said earlier, I, I grew up – I lived in Saudi Arabia for a while, so I've seen the way stuff is structured over there, and it's very different. Uh, I was born in the UK. I live in the UK. I've seen stuff over here. My family background is originally from Nigeria. In Nigeria, I'd say people have a much clearer definition of what is masculine and what is feminine than people do now in the modern Western world. So it's one of those things that kind of strikes me as odd because all those things you've just described, even though, you know, it's a very honorable and valuable and even sacrificial role that men play in society. And for whatever reason, 
a lot of that seems to get overlooked, right? You've, yeah. you, you're seeing all these people talking about oh, masculine, toxic masculinity, this masculinity, that men need to do this better. They need to. And I'm kind of like, wait, hang on. Like, I'm like, wait, hang on. Like, I'll grant you that most of the terrible stuff that's happened in the world throughout history was propagated by men. Yeah, but a lot of the great good stuff. <laughs> yeah, but like a lot of the great stuff, you know, wherever you are right now, kind of like look around you at all the physical objects and the roof over your head and whatnot. Right. I can almost guarantee you that most of that was made by men. Yeah, you guys um, can hear us because of the accomplishments of men. Yeah, and that's not that's just a fact. That's not right. us trying to be like. I mean, I didn't I didn't invent the microphone, so I can't personally claim that. Nope. But why is it that people only focus on the negative? rather than the positive any any ideas around that i would say i see two big culprits to it and it's funny because most people will just go feminism and that's true but i think feminism in and of itself is kind of a symptom of the two big things one is the idea that masculinity is now optional it used to be that that creating men and having boys grow up to be men was good for society. Now society really doesn't need that as much because of technology, because of big government, because of the fact that we live in a relatively peaceful time in the Western world because of all that. And so most people sadly assume that, well, it's no longer necessary for society. So that also doesn't mean that it's good for men. But on an individual level, boys do not succeed if they don't turn into men. And then what's really sad is that also means that down the road, as like a third order of consequences, society is screwed when you have boys who don't develop into men. So it's yeah. a very short-sighted approach to, well, we don't really need it right now. It's kind of like it's kind of like saying, I'm full. Like my stomach is so full that it that it hurts. So I never need to buy food again. And it's like, no, that, that's going to go away at some point and you're going to need to eat again. Yeah. And that's the way society is going to change is right now from a societal perspective, masculinity is optional, but it's very foolish to think that it will always be that way. Mm. So I would say that there's that component of it from the technological and like the necessity aspect. And then from like a moral and a philosophical aspect, I think that's, it's tied to like postmodernism and the fact that we have to, we live in a culture that has to tear down every single tradition. And we have the hubris to think that we're just on this linear path to progress and to becoming the best in everything. Like our technological progress is commensurate with our moral progress and with our intellectual progress. And it's it's nope. so arrogant and so stupid. And feminism is largely a result of that. Again, uh, feminism is uh, related to that. Man, my, my, uh, yeah, I kicked the feminist hornet's nest earlier today. Like, I, I'm, for I you. Can, dude, it's, I, I don't know how many hundreds or thousands of mentions they'll, they'll be they'll still be racking up as we're talking right absolutely. now absolutely like, yeah i just i may i asked a couple of questions oh, and that's, that's, <laughs> you just asked questions and they're so easy to trigger it's just, it's like, whoa, whoa like okay like the <laughs> accusation the accusations that are being levied at me um and the assumptions as well the assumptions are very very funny because i'm like look i've got like a mother i've got two sisters i've got five nieces i've got a girlfriend i've got two sister-in-laws like and I've got thou literally thousands Look at of how much you hate these women. <laughs> I've got how literally dare you? <laughs> I've got literally thousands of female fans, friends, followers, supporters across the board. Um, you know, to anyone questioning, no, I don't hate women. I, I love and appreciate women greatly. I just recognize as well that there is a difference between 
men and women. And those differences are... Hate speech. Hate speech. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, man. Oh, crap. Someone's knocking at the door. It's <laughs> <laughs> a bit too much free thought. Um, and yeah, it's just very odd to me, like what you said there about the postmodernism. I think that's right, because it's... I'm always like, a lot of stuff got us this far. Mm-hmm. So it does like literally all of us exist because of the differences between men and women and the obviously the reproduction, but also the the family dynamic, the societal dynamic, the fact that men generally compensate for women's weaknesses. Women generally compensate for men's weaknesses. I don't think that's a an accident, you know, right. like a, whether someone believes in in God or believes in just like evolution purely then both that's of those not, leads to not, some intentionality yeah yeah exactly like it, there's a reason things are this way and it's like it's been working it's been working it still works so why are people so keen to just let's just tear this whole thing down we don't we don't need fathers we don't we don't need dads we don't need men we don't need women must go and pursue absolutely everything that men are pursuing and be 50 50 ever and it's very strange to me because I'm kind of here like, look, like if a woman wants to do go be a CEO, like she can go be a CEO. If she wants to go and do construction, she can go do construction. She wants to be a physicist. She can be a physicist. It just so happens that there are more men than women who are interested in doing those things. And right. a lot of that Don't is because them of- into it or shame them into it or create this culture where yeah. they feel guilty for not being into that. And somehow they're letting down the sisterhood. Yeah, I often joke that I'm a better feminist than feminist. Because <laughs> I'm like, you I'm actually not... care more about women yeah, than yeah. well-being. <laughs> I'm here, like, I'm like here, like defending women and like sticking exactly. up for, for their choices and them actually being able to do what they would like. Well, to think do. about think about all the grief that you know that my wife catches for choosing. And thankfully, here in Utah and within the the culture of our church and everything else, she's very much the norm. Yeah, yeah. you know. But what you know on the internet or anything else, the idea that she would choose to be a stay at home mom is so insulting to some of these women. And it's like, well, that's that's backwards. Why do you get to decide what she's what she's doing? Well, their argument would their argument would be that the patriarchal society and history has led to structural and systemic institutions that make her think that that is what she wants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do that. love her internalized misogyny. It's like <laughs> a lot easier. <laughs> and we are now both being benevol- benevolently sexist yes, by, yes. Su- by suggesting that mm-hmm. uh, she that's may kind. want to do that. <laughs> that's the thing that's so ridiculous about it is basically – we just we can't win unless, <laughs> no. we submit, unless we submit. And what's sad is how many guys still like try and play the game by like oh, I'm gosh. a feminist or I'm a gentleman or I'm something else. It's like Dude. you wait they're till all, you get. To they're all in up. my inbox. They're all in my inbox right now. I can only imagine. <laughs> <laughs> They're all in my inbox. I'm just like, Bro. dude, I'll, I'm like, ladies, this is the guy you need to worry about. Like, yeah. like not, not me. Like, <laughs> the creep, dude. This is the one who's going to, oh, man. Yeah, this is a guy who's going to like, I saw something yesterday. It was a it was a picture of a dude. Maybe were you the one who posted this? Where it's like this really creepy dude. And it was a Facebook post of him like at a strip club. And he'd given the stripper flowers. And he was trying to show her that chivalry wasn't dead. And he was all hurt because she blocked him on social media. It's like, dude, what do you expect? You're terrifying. There's no, there's nothing gentlemanly or chivalrous. Like you're just trying to nice guy yourself into bed with her. And it's pathetic and disgusting. And it's, uh, it's, those are the kind of guys you have to worry about. 
<laughs> yeah, for real, for real. Like, I say that like half jokingly, but there have been so many cases of these very like outspoken and fairly prominent male self-identified male feminists actually getting you know in trouble for all kinds of well yeah because when it doesn't work and, yeah. strategy they get pissed and they take the mm. revenge yeah so it's only it's only a half joke so late <laughs> <laughs> ladies take that as a take that with a grain of salt yes but yeah man awesome bro i see we're just uh we're coming up to about an hour now man so let people know where they can find you online Absolutely. So best place and the one that I'm the most active on, surprise, surprise, as we've alluded to it a bunch, is Twitter. So you can follow me there. It's at Tanner Guzzi, T-A-N-N-E-R-G-U-Z-Y. If you want to check out the main site, that is masculine-style.com. And on there, you can actually go and take a free quiz. It's like six or seven questions long, and it'll tell you which of those three style archetypes is your main archetype. And then that'll get you onto my my mailing list as well. I I don't write a lot of articles. But I do send out a newsletter teaching you guys about this stuff nearly every day, at least like four or five times a week. So Twitter, Instagram, same thing, Tanner Guzzi, and then the uh, the mailing list. Those are the best ways to get a hold of me. Awesome, brother. It's been so good to talk to you, man. Thanks for having me on, dude. It's been great. Awesome, man. Keep killing it. And long live the patriarchy. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good one, man. Bye-bye. That was fun. Thanks, dude. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.